0: Welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn.
1: Hello, welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm your host and joining me, Mel, our co-host. Mel, today's interview, we've got a funny story around today's interview. By the way, uh, but it's with Kevin Chandler, and he is unbelievable guy. But I need you to
2: know. <laughs> oh gosh, what happened, Davy? <laughs> oh,
1: man, this is classic. This is classic Davy right here. And this is uh, us. We're you know in the in the process of working out our systems. We've got the system for how we how we note whether a podcast is in person or the podcast is done over like a Zoom call remotely. Some of the people we have that we bring in and we interview them in person and some people we do over a a Zoom call. And um, we had this one noted. Our systems were great. We had this one noted that it was in person, but I knew Kevin's story. And in my mind, of course, when you let the leader barge in on the systems, he always messes it up, right? That's why systems (laughs) are there. You're not supposed to- That's why we have systems. That's exactly right. So the leader can't mess it all up. So uh, I was like, there's, how, there's no way that he's going to be coming to a, my house to do this in person, and it's because Kevin is wheelchair-bound. He's got a degenerative um, a muscular disorder that has, has left him wheelchair-bound for um, most of his life. And I'm like, I, this must be a mistake in our system. And so we kind of set it all up, had our engineer, Tommy, come in and set up for a Zoom call. Next thing we know, there's a, there's a, a ring at our doorbell and Kevin's friend is standing at the front door and he's like, hey, we're here for the interview. And of course my <laughs> mind's like, wait a minute, how, how are we going to do this? Because you're, whe- you're in a wheelchair and I don't, this, I don't have a lot of like wheelchair accessible entrances for my house right here. And uh, d- it didn't stop them. They pulled out a couple of two by sixes from their truck and they went up the back porch. That's
2: and amazing. He
1: comes up and comes right in. And I was like, I'll be honest with you, I was like, both inspired and and mortified <laughs> and embarrassed for yes. how i had meddled in our system and totally got this all wrong but i was inspired because this guy did not let anything stop him nope from getting to the destination. And that's the whole story of Kevin Chandler. That's why I'm so excited for you to hear this interview.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I actually just had a friend from college post about him on Facebook and I was really? like, we just had an interview with him. So yeah, it was pretty cool.
1: That's amazing. Well, I don't want to tell you too much of a story, but um, he he and his friends have kind of created this mantra, this We Carry Kevin, in fact, the name of their book. And they've got a ministry around all of this to help um, create accessibility in all the inaccessible places, um, and with an undergirding of the gospel. And, um, I ask a question to Kevin in this that I I would love for every listener to wrestle with. And the question is, is as you think through your own pain, think through the lens of how can Jesus relate to my pain? Yeah. Because, because he can, And, and not just because it's like, oh, I, you know, not because he's sympathizing with us. Oh yeah. I'm so sorry for what you're going through, but because he can actually empathize with us because he's gone through everything that we have gone through everything that we could go through. He's been there. And, um, and so I think it's so helpful to think through the lens of your pain and go, all right, where's Jesus in this whole story? How did he experience this kind of pain? Uh, Yeah.
2: And I think if you're listening to this and you're like, well, how, how does Jesus know my pain or how can he? Um, I want you to take heart because God's word says so. In Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, um, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that, may, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Hmm. And so God's word promises us that, um, that he in his deity and in his 100% manhood, he um, knows. And yeah, yeah.
1: I, th- I think we talk about often this idea of like, just, you know, being able to have somebody there present with you to understand is so helpful. But the fact that even if you don't feel like you have a person, a human there with you in your time of need, the the God of the universe is there. Yeah. And he understands, like legitimately understands. He's not like, oh, they're there, you know, but he legitimately understands because he walked through this. So I I just think asking that question really helped me. Like, God, how are you, like, how do you understand? I I asked that question. Hey, Jesus, how do you understand your wife being murdered? How do you understand that? And I had to wrestle through literally that, that pain. How do you, how do you understand this? Mm. And, and Jesus met me there and, and he, he pointed me to his, his church, his bride, um, and, and his bride being, um, es- essentially at the beginning of time with the fall of man, the, the sin curse coming in, his bride being murdered. Yeah and how he had to come in and restore and redeem by the cross and the empty tomb to be able to bring restoration to it. And what the enemy the enemy stole his bride from him and he had to come back and reclaim it. And I'm like, "Man, wait, you even understand that?"
2: Yes. It's That's it's crazy. I feel like for me, when I think about how Jesus understands my pain is, um, just miscarriage and infertility and, uh, losing a baby. And, um, when, when we suffered a miscarriage and, and for me, it was just like the Lord knows what it's like to lose a child. He knows, um, Mm. how much, um, just pain that it brings and, um, by sending Jesus to die on the cross for right. our sins. And so, right. yeah, mm. that was such a good question that you posed.
1: Wow. Well, we talk about this among many things with Kevin, especially this idea, and I, I want I let him kind of tease this out, just this idea of like, what is it like to have to rely on people for support? All the time. You always have to be willing to receive. And I'm not very good at, (laughs) it's interesting. We're talking about this around the Christmas season. I'm not really good at receiving help. I don't like to be needy. You know, I don't, I want to be the person who comes, steps up and helps other people. And yet there are times in our life where we have to ask for help. Yeah. And you might find yourself in a moment right now where you are, you're, you are at rock bottom and you are in a situation where you need to, you need to ask for help Mm -hmm. and be okay with that. Um. Because that's that's where healing is going to start.
2: Yeah. And we were actually just having a beautiful conversation before we started yeah. recording with our producer. And she mentioned the fact that even Jesus needed help, that when he was yeah. carrying the cross, um, Simon came and assisted him because right. um, he had been beaten and scourged and everything. And, um, and so, yeah, I think it's actually, it's so cool. It's Christ-like to ask yeah. for help.
1: Yeah. I know we... <laughs> When we are talking about this and Taylor just has this mic drop moment, I'm like, Taylor, dang, girl, that was so good. So, it was good. so good. So true. But again, all around this conversation, Jesus understands your pain. And I would challenge you again, ask him, how do you understand my pain?
2: Yep. Yeah. Well, before we listen to Kevin's interview, um, we have a really great review that I want to read. And it says, um, Literally every episode is full of hope and encouragement in some manner. I've cried both happy tears and sad tears. Okay, same, me too, um, by listening. (laughs) But always, always come away challenged and refreshed. Love it. So like always, thank you so much for sending these in. We absolutely love it. Um, yeah, mention us on Instagram, um, screenshot it, let us know what you're listening to, um, what you're learning. We love it. So you can follow us on Instagram at Ministries.
1: Yeah, and so uh, while you're there, share this interview with Kevin Chandler. Let's jump right in. Kevin, so great to have you on the podcast, man. Yeah, thank you. Hey, this is awesome to have you here. Yeah. And what the listener doesn't know is that that was kind of a surprise. <laughs> 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 it was our fault, miscommunication on that. And uh, that's amazing. And I want to talk a little bit about your story and all of that stuff. But I just want to say on the air and on record, thank you for coming. Yeah. Like it, it moves me considerably to to just have you show up and say, here we go. Oh. But, Kevin, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself right now? What's life look like? Um, What do you do? Where do you live? Give us a little insight into Kevin Chandler right now.
3: Oh, man. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So um, I live – my name is Kevin Chandler, and I live in Fort Wayne, Indiana, just a few hours from here. And um, I live with a couple of guys in a house – uh, pretty much downtown and uh, whenever I'm there when I'm not traveling I spend my time at a coffee shop and um, work on writing books and um, kind of managing the, the non-profit stuff uh, that we do and um, other than that uh Play backgammon, read books, and watch The Office. You know? <laughs> so just like any other just like any average Joe. <laughs> that sounds
1: about right. Yeah. <laughs> Play yeah. backgammon, sure. read yeah, books, yeah, yeah. watch The Office. Right, yeah. The important
3: things. The important things. <laughs> the right.
1: important so. things. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Now, you guys have a nonprofit, right, that mm-hmm. you lead. And tell me a little bit about what does this nonprofit do?
3: Yeah. Um, so uh, to give a brief back story that we can jump into right. more well, later, Um. Uh, A couple of years ago in, uh, I guess, 2016, uh, some guys and I went to Europe and we uh, left my wheelchair at home and they carried me around in a a backpack for three weeks. And as a result, um, a lot of people all over the world started asking about how we pulled that off. Um, Where did we get the backpack? And uh, where did I get these friends? And um, uh, how did we you know, just navigate the traveling aspect. And so uh to answer those questions we started a, a non profit, um, where I surrounded myself with a a lot of people with um a lot more wisdom and experience than I have. And, <laughs> As any uh, good leader would. <laughs> right, right. And uh and yeah, we just started uh we, we went into production with the backpacks and uh wrote this book and um we put out a, a documentary and I've been speaking and we're also working on um connecting people and coming alongside families and, and saying, Okay, well, uh what is your situation and what are your dreams and uh, and how can we help with that? Um sometimes that means uh you know, really brainstorming ideas and sometimes it means going for a walk and just processing, you know, yeah. their own life story and situation and um I think that's that's my favorite aspect is being able to uh, just come alongside people and, and have those conversations, yeah. um, a lot of which are are really difficult, and a lot of times I may not have an answer, but I can say I I get it, yeah. you know, right, and uh, and just share the love of Jesus through camaraderie and right. and prayer, and um, so yeah, that's a lot of a lot of what we're doing, and. Um, kind of like you and I were talking about, just figuring out what else can be involved in that. Yeah. Um, So we're we're excited to see what the Lord does with it over the next yeah. few years. But that's where we are right now. Mm. It can be both
1: both frustrating and beautiful to yeah. not have the answer. Yeah, to yeah. not be able to fix whatever somebody's going through, yeah. but to go, "Hey, I I understand, and I'm I'm with you in this." Yeah, the power of presence and um. It's such a remarkable thing with what you guys are doing. What you guys are doing is you're redefining accessibility.
3: Hmm.
1: Yeah. You're helping people understand, hey, there's, there's nothing that can hold you back. Even the gravest of disabilities that you think could hold you back. Yeah. It's not going... It doesn't have to. Yeah. And uh, so obviously the listener does not... No, just by listening to this, right? That yeah. you
3: have for your whole life, right? Suffered with a d- disability. Yeah. So I, I have um, spinal muscular atrophy, which is uh, kind of like ALS, except people don't dump buckets of ice on themselves <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to make <it> awareness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, essentially, the the message from my brain to my muscles uh, gets kind of messed up mm. in the spinal cord, and so um, as a result um my muscles weaken over time and so uh it is a progressive disease um mm-hmm. but not typically fatal um other than catching you know pneumonia or something like that right. um but yeah so that that's uh what i've dealt with um for as long as i can remember um i have a an older sister who has the same disease and so um kind of when i came along they saw the the signs and said, "Oh, yeah, this is what it is." So. <laughs> wow! Yeah. Can you just kind of take us back a little
1: bit um, <laughs> to you know your childhood when you began kind of discovering that you had this disability? Because this probably was a pretty intense discovery for you, or or yeah. you know what? How did it begin to limit you even at that point? Sure. That caused you to decide one way or the other how you were going to approach life.
3: Yeah. Um, so uh for our family um I do have an older brother who who doesn't have SMA um but uh when my sister came came along um she was fine until she was should have been kind of letting go of things and walking mm-hmm. on her own and that wasn't happening and so that's when they started doing some tests and and um eventually were able to diagnose her and then uh, when I came along, I never was able to walk. Um, mm. I, As soon as I started being able to stand up, I was falling down and mm. that wasn't changing. And so um, I was diagnosed before I really even knew what was going on. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because I've, I've asked my uh, mom before, I was like, so you have this great dynamic story about Connie, but like, what about whenever I was diagnosed? And, <sighs> She was like, oh, yeah, we just realized you had the same thing and kind of moved on, you know? Yeah, And wow. kept going with life, uh, which I think is a testimony of its own that yeah. my parents just said, all right, here we go. This know? is
1: what yeah. has, quote unquote, been dealt to us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so we're going to keep going, yeah. That would be a fascinating conversation to talk to your parents, by the way. Oh, and yeah. Just like, how did you navigate this? Yeah. You know, because... It's a it's a massive life undertaking when a parent finds themselves, you know, in a situation where they uh where they have a child with a disability, whether it be physical or mental or whatever, it's this mm-hmm. it's a totally different aspect of how to parent. Yeah. They found themselves with two mm-hmm. and yet it seems like their resilience and their okay, we're just gonna take this in stride. Yeah. Yeah,
3: or and that. they're they're both just very um proactive people. I mean my mm-hmm. My dad is a an airplane mechanic, so everything that he looks at is how how do I fix this or improve this okay, and wow. um my mom uh has been uh uh kind of on the front lines of the uh pro life scene for mm. since before my sister was born so um yeah just wow. our our whole family has been very like, all right, here we go, kind of thing. So, That's awesome. Um, yeah.
1: That's also fascinating and very cool that your mom's on the front scenes of that because, I mean, m- much of the time, you know, someone decides to terminate a pregnancy because of maybe they find out earlier of a genetic yeah. mutation or something like that, that yeah. would that would result in them having to parent, you know, a child with a disability. Yeah. They choose yeah. not to.
3: Yeah, and, and instead just choose to... Embrace it entirely, wow. and so um, which I'm I'm thankful for. Yes. <laughs> did they
1: did your mom and out of curiosity? Did they know they didn't know this until after you were born, and they began to see some of the same signs? Right, it wasn't yeah. something they found out in the womb.
3: Well, they um yeah they they didn't have that technology okay. at the time, especially for our disease. Um, there was not really much known, anyways. Yeah. Um, and so uh, when my sister was diagnosed. They were told that if they had more kids, that would probably be the case. Okay. And and they decided that they were okay with that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. So to answer your original question, I have never really known life without uh, a disability. Um, However, with it being progressive, there have been seasons in my life where the progression has been more uh more extreme more Mm. noticeable uh i remember like around ninth grade um i just was was becoming a lot weaker and Mm. needed a chance to rest like during the day and um in uh seventh grade i I broke my right arm and and because of that uh the atrophy uh Mm. you know like i I had my arm in a sling for so many weeks and in a growth spurt and the atrophy just kind of kicked in. And so, you know, as a result, my right arm wasn't really useful. And so there were like seasons throughout my life where there was, um, I would say the the frustration was kind of augmented um, by the situation. Um, And in those times, I think um, kind of, clung to uh the hope of christ Mm -hmm. you know that it's like uh, a lot of people get angry and kind of turn on on god in that moment and um uh for me it was more like well you're the only consistent thing right now you know and so um yeah just hanging on to him and and realizing that um something that's always helped me is realizing that Everyone's bodies are going to break down yeah. eventually. Mine just breaks down differently, mm. uh, and maybe a little faster, um, or in a different way. And so, um, I'm I'm okay with that. It, you know, for the yeah. most part. Yeah. <laughs> um. There there are ways to uh, push back against it and and fight it. And so I do some of that to mm. kind of ease the progress or or just push through. And yeah. Um, but yeah, just yeah. having peace with him on it. You
1: you make a really good point in that when someone comes into a crossroads of whatever it is, whether it's a tragic situation like something that hits their life out of nowhere, or mm-hmm. something that they you know were born with, or something that they've dealt with their whole life, at some point they come to a decision where they go, okay, this is either going to you know shake my faith or shape my faith. Right? This mm-hmm. is going to either drive me away from Christ and you grow bitter and resentful. Toward the Lord, blame God for these kinds of things, or no, I'm going to allow this to uh, cause me to lean into it. Mm. And you and you chose to lean into the Lord. Mm. Were, there, were there were there reasons for that? Like, if you're assessing the situation, what, did it have to do with the environment that you grew up in? Did it have to do with like an encounter that you had with God? What was the reason that you attribute to? man, this caused me, God gave me the grace enough to just lean into him and have faith in the midst of all this. Sure.
3: Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, it all kind of goes back to my parents. I Mm. think a lot of, um, who I am and, and how I think. And, um, you know, for example, uh, when I was around six, I was having trouble sleeping because I couldn't wrap my head around eternity because that's, Mm. Normal, Normal right. For a six-year-old, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but um, but
1: Are you I, an enneagram five by any means? I'm enneagram a seven. Five? You're yeah. a seven. Yeah. Oh my gosh! This is amazing, Kevin. This is amazing that you're a seven. Yeah. Well, just the adventurer, the enthusiast. Yeah. The, yeah. I love this. I'm like getting emotional right now just thinking about the fact like God wrote that into your personality yeah. and yeah, wow, that's all. My wife's a seven, so oh, nice. No, I okay. get it, and the fact. We could have a whole discussion on this right now. Oh gosh! <laughs> well, I mean, a seven's a, her, one of her worst fears is being stuck. Yeah, being bound. Yeah, and okay. Wow, that's <laughs> we'll awesome. Come we'll back get to, to that, that in a second. Yeah, yeah, We're gonna yeah, come yeah. back to that. Yeah. But that's that just threw me for a loop for sure, a second. Sure. All right, back well, to my question. <laughs> so,
3: so yeah, um, my dad, knowing me uh, probably better than anyone, knew that um, I'm. I love people. I love um, relationships. Yeah. And so rather than sitting me down and trying to, you know, give me a doctrine on eternity that mm. would make my little six-year-old mind <laughs> calm down, he instead sat me down and said, well, um, I want to introduce you to Jesus personally, wow. because that's who you can spend eternity with. And so um, I had grown up you know up to that point in the church I I knew the bible story but for it to be personally presented to me that was mm. kind of the moment for me and uh and so I think that for me is whenever it became um that I had this uh you know this person with me you know yeah. this this relationship this friend and um and so yeah I I think that's where that idea of well This is the consistent thing. This is the thing that I can uh, trust is going to be there. Um, I may not always understand what he's doing. Um, That's, I mean, unfathomable, you know. But but I'm also, I have to be okay with that. And I have to know that ultimately um, he loves me and what he's Mm. doing is because he loves me. And um, whatever I go through um you know he already uh, suffered and died for mm. you know on my behalf and so um kind of reflecting on that and holding on to that and knowing that uh whenever i'm going through something uh i know that he's saying i get it yeah and he really does yeah and he so, really
1: does yeah. right and so we try to help people understand all the time no matter what type of trial you're walking through he gets it you know that god's uh, the father's answer to our pain was not some explanation.
3: Yeah.
1: It was incarnation. Mm. He sent his son yeah. to, and who willingly subjected himself to the human experience mm. to walk in our shoes and experience every bit of, a, of the pain, emotion, temptation that we've experienced. And he really does get it. Yeah. I always yeah. challenge people, find, what, find how Jesus understands your pain. Mm. If I was to ask you that question, yeah. How would how would you answer that? I'm putting you on the spot right now, Kim. Oh man, I need to sit on that for a while. <laughs> yeah.
3: Um how does he understand my pain? Uh or right. Did I yeah. say that right? Yeah. How would how, how do would you, I see that could he you point to my pain? in
1: scripture or in I mean I, in your experience as he's as he's comforting you with the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your own life, how has he assured you, hey, I understand your pain?
3: Yeah. Um you know I, I think looking back at uh the stories in the gospel of not just uh the healings that he did but the people that he healed and mm-hmm. the the time that he spent with them you yeah. know whenever uh the guys lowered their friend f- through the roof mm-hmm. um the first and and foremost thing that jesus was concerned with was your sins are forgiven mm-hmm. And I think he said that because he saw that that's what mattered even to that guy the most. Yeah. Um And I, I have to wonder if whenever he said that and, and everyone around him kind of scoffed, if to that guy that was enough. Mm. And the rest was just a fun add-on. Wow. You know? yep. <laughs> it doesn't yep. say that, but it's right. like, well, but Jesus knows best. Yeah. I mean, he knows that guy. And so, um, you know, you have that and you have um, the the lame man by the pool mm. he comes to him and says, you know, you want to be healed? Mm. You know, he starts with a conversation. And so yeah. um, that relational aspect, um, spending time, you know, having dinner with the tax collectors, mm. just hanging out, um, I think that... Um, yeah interaction was uh it it speaks so much to me because of my uh desire for relationship and fellowship and being with yeah. people um mm. to know that he sometimes does just sit with me yeah um is is important
1: that's so cool in your in your growing up as especially some of these seasons where maybe you became even more frustrated by uh, your disability or when it was, uh, maybe it was exacerbating a little bit more and so it became more frustrating seasons. Did you find yourself in those seasons really wrestling, wavering um, in any kind of like depression or like emotionally where, what kinds of ebbs and flows have you experienced and how did you deal with those?
3: Yeah. Uh, so I would say the, the depression that I've dealt with, um, the, the loyal moments, um, well, to, to fast forward a bit, uh, after college, I uh, had the opportunity to, well, during college, I, I moved out on my own and uh, lived with a group of guys, and then I moved up here and lived with some guys, and I have probably about a dozen guys that come through and just voluntarily help out. Um, and the, the loyal moments that I have are uh whenever I feel like I'm I'm a burden or I'm too mm. much. And uh and why that kicks in, I'm not always sure. Sometimes it's because I'm like physically sick until I do require more mm. or sometimes I just I don't know, just get into a, a low spirit and um and I start to think, well Yeah, maybe I need to rethink things because I I feel like I'm weighing people down. Mm -hmm. and um, That's one of the awesome things about having my friends uh, taking care of me is that Mm. I can actually verbalize that to them Mm. and say, this is how I'm feeling. And it's not because of you, but this is how I'm feeling. And they'll turn around and encourage me and and remind me that... um, they help out because that's part of our friendship. It's part of just what we have to do. And um, so Ben Ben is with us today and he's a a big uh, proponent or a a big part of that. He's the one that I usually go to and and bring that up whenever I need to. Um, So yeah, yeah, those are, I think whenever I'm low is is for that kind of social side.
1: Yeah. Mm. You, I f- I feel like as I kind of look at your story, you're also helping to redefine friendship, mm. and um, I think it's really interesting because I have a little <laughs> because of the enneagram <laughs> and how much I've studied it. Be a uh, seven as far as understanding my wife, it's so interesting that sevens hate to be needed, but also hate to feel like they're a burden or they're putting a damper on somebody's fun mm-hmm. or adventure. Yeah, and so I imagine that's something that you know, that plays into this for you feeling, not, not wanting to be a burden yeah. on anybody, not wanting to like, I'm so sorry that this is the case. Have you any insight into how you have had to like come to terms or wrestle through that? Um, you know, as you, as you're feeling these things, cause that could result in you isolating yourself or you, you know yeah. really pushing f- friendships away because you don't want to be uh, a burden and yet there's something beautiful that's happening with your friendships around you that I want to talk about in a little bit yeah yeah and it's actually caused you to lean into them more so how have you really wrestled through that with your friends
3: um so the the funny thing about sevens is that uh like you said we we don't like to feel too dependent on but we also don't want to be a burden but But we're not independent at all. Like not that you said that, but right. Um but our dependence is that we we wanna have an adventure and we wanna bring everyone with us. Right. Or we see something great going on and we wanna be part of it. And so um we wanna be free to kind of jump into that and and bounce around and um and be involved and being included and inclusive to to what's going on. Um and so I think um before I even knew about the enneagrams, that was kind of my <laughs> my thought process was um well uh you know i I have stuff I want to do in the world, and i I want to bring people along, mm. or i just even if it's not like big epic things, I just want to live a, a a you know a fun, full right. life, and um I want people to be part of that, and um I want Whatever they have to bring to the table, you know, I want them to. And, and, um, I want to bring stuff to the table. And mm. I just want to kind of, uh, coexist with, with these other people and, and see what happens and kind of make that an adventure. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, once you get that ball rolling, then even whenever you have a low moment of, okay, maybe, maybe this is too much, or maybe mm. I don't, Maybe I am a burden. Well, I can't isolate because the ball's rolling. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, like if we have, um, we have a handful of guys that stay overnight, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I, yeah. I mean, technically I could call them and say don't come, but that wouldn't be fair to my roommates because they need a break. Yeah. And so, right. <laughs> so, like, even if I feel like being alone or isolating yeah. myself, um, someone's still showing up mm. at ten o'clock to crash for the night, you know? Yep. Or um there's even I I kinda I feel like I have this running joke with God where sometimes I I feel like I need time to myself, which for me as an extreme extrovert is never a good idea Mm. like it's never healthy but sometimes you get in a low point where you're like no i just i just need some time to myself yeah but then i have to go to the bathroom (laughs) and it's like well (laughs) never mind you know so um so yeah it just doesn't doesn't happen like that and that's um, funny so i i think that um i don't even remember what the original question was but i don't either whenever i isolate (laughs) like how do i how yeah, do i fight how, that yeah, i was, think in a way uh kind of god fights it for me i was going to say it's kind of so, built
1: in yeah It's almost like a i feel like in some ways like an uh, an object lesson for us even right now of going mm-hmm. hey this is what great community looks like mm-hmm. i mean you mentioned earlier there's like four men who carried their friend mm-hmm. and we don't we don't do community really well in western american culture <laughs> Yeah. Because we're like, I got this, yeah. you know, independent. I fight this all the time. I'm a three, wing four. Okay. <laughs> Look at this. Wow. Just about, okay. All right. So I have a very interesting... <laughs> Back towards the door. No. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But so I have a very independent nature about myself, yeah, right? Yeah. And yet the four begins to see the beauty in like some of these things and really desire mm-hmm. to have to do things with other people and really participate in that with other people. And when I'm healthy, the community is a, is a very rich thing in my life. When I'm not, I'm usually trying to go out and do it myself. Yeah, And that's part of the American culture that's wired us to achieve and to do things isolated. And yet you're in a situation where on some levels you can't right. do things by yourself. And so God's kind of built into your life and your story this beautiful object lesson of like we need each other and we need to be okay that sometimes we need to be needed and that we need other people as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no?
3: yeah. And that it does go both ways. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've talked to people who, um, you know, have disabilities, but they're really good at serving other people, yeah. you know, sometimes as like a counseling standpoint or, or whatever the case may be. And, um, but then they have trouble asking for help and it's exactly. like, okay, but you, you kind of, yeah. It's uh it goes both ways here and right. um but yeah, I, I think uh you know, you brought up um how we are redefining accessibility mm. but also friendship and right. and both of those are happening because uh true accessibility happens with friendship and mm. happens with relationship and um if you if you have friendship uh it should if accessibility is required, it should kind of fall in there mm. um, naturally. Yep. Know? So, so we can't really do one without the other. Yeah, As that's far exact, as what, what we're right, doing yeah. as a nonprofit, you know, we right. we have to address both.
1: Right, but in, and as well in life, it's like right, right. There's no way to absolutely. You are not able to, and as an organization, a nonprofit, you're not able to. There's no yeah. accessibility without friendship, without community, mm. and yet life is. God wired the universe in such a way that there are places in life, spaces that you cannot access mm. without the key of community.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Us, we yeah. are able to access that, but I am not. Yeah. What, what a, man, powerful. Here's my four coming out right now. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, Kevin, your life is fascinating. This is amazing. Thanks. I love this. this. I'm interrupting this important conversation for a really good reason. We wanna make sure you know about all of the resources that are available to you, our Nothing Is Wasted community. If you haven't heard us talk about it before, we have created a program that we want to make as value adding as possible to your healing journey. For a $20 a month donation to Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, you can access monthly mini bonus episodes with past guests, Full bonus episodes with new guests, five to 10 minute supplementary commentaries about each episode, live Q&As, get first access to Nothing Is Wasted, announcements, discounts to Nothing Is Wasted, coaching, events and products, and other bonus content will release periodically. We want your support to this ministry to be mutually beneficial. So please take advantage of these resources as you consider setting up this partnership with us. To find out more information about this program, sign up or try a free seven-day trial, head over to nothingiswasted.com slash partners. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash partners. Now back to our interview. So you, you alluded earlier that you guys... Took this backpacking trip, a couple of them, but but the first one was essentially this like monumental thing. Yeah, what led to that? And talk to me about this this trip.
3: Yeah, so we um, let's hear, So I I'm going to back up a little bit. I, I grew up in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and I uh, moved up to uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, um, about five years ago. What, what
1: brought you up? But let me interrupt for a second. What okay, brought yeah. you up
3: to Fort Wayne, Indiana? Uh, right, right. Um, so, my sister lived up here uh, at the time yeah. and she was working with uh, the Burmese refugees. Oh, yeah. And, okay. yeah. and so that's what brought her up. And then um, I would just come up to visit a lot and I uh, got to know people, got to know people yeah. at her church and um, uh, some stuff uh happened back home um i lost a a really dear friend to suicide Mm. and just decided that i didn't want to be there Mm. anymore i I wanted to be somewhere uh somewhere else that uh didn't remind me of him around every corner and uh i uh, the the community there was kind of falling apart because of Mm. that uh, experience and so i I just needed to get away for a bit. And uh, that was, yeah, over five years ago. And um, I, you know, whenever I moved to Fort Wayne, kind of as a a side note, uh, at first I I was just kind of running away from Mm -hmm. the situation, but uh, the Lord was was faithful through it and stuck with me. And, um through that, uh, I, I'd say a few months in, um, I just had a very uh, healing experience um, mm-hmm. where I had had about a year of um, emptiness and just felt like a, a shell and yeah. the world made no sense at all. And I, I mean, it still doesn't make yeah. any sense, but, um, but I, at the moment when I kind of gave up and was like, well, there's not going to be closure. I'm just going to feel this way mm. forever, and I am I have to be okay with that. Um, it was around that time that uh, the Lord just really showed up and um, brought some, I would say, miraculous mm. um, healing to my heart and, and to the situation personally where I, I found closure and uh, through an experience and um, was able to kind of move forward um with life and yeah um so yeah that was that was awesome just as a testimony of his his goodness right. continued um mm. but right before i moved uh, a couple friends in north carolina said hey uh, we want to explore the sewers before you go and mm. uh we want you to go with us and sewers are not wheelchair accessible, as no. you can imagine. <laughs> so uh so we we came up with kind of a makeshift backpack. We took just a, a metal frame and and laid me on it in my friend's living room and wrapped hammocks around me, so I was kind of cocooned against uh. this frame and then they put me on their back and um we spent probably three or four hours uh tromping through sewers in north carolina wow. in greensboro actually okay. all right yeah. yeah and uh saw some some interesting things yeah. and uh, heard and smelled some interesting <laughs> things but it was awesome it was a great experience and uh coming out of that there was kind of a question of well we we survived this what do we do next yeah uh i remember the next day i was uh, at my parents church and was out on the the parking lot before the service started, and just kind of looking up in the sky, going, "I feel like the whole world's opened up now. Mm. Like I can I can do anything, but I don't know what that means yet." Wow! And uh, about a year later, it clicked, and I I realized I'd always wanted to go to Europe. Yeah. Um, but the things I wanted to do were not going to be accessible. Right. And so I had always kind of written it off as not as i will never do this but i'll do it someday yeah. i just don't know how and uh yeah about a year after the sewer uh adventure um i i realized wait maybe we could do mm. this it's at least worth trying right. or asking right so i reached out to those guys and i said what if we do that again uh but above ground in europe for three weeks and the original idea was that we would take my chair and just use a backpack when we needed to. Yeah. Um, but the further into planning that we went, we realized that the wheelchair was just going to get in the way. Wow. Uh-huh. It's a it's a great tool, but for what we wanted to do, it it was not going to make much sense. Wow. Um, so we worked with uh, a company to develop a, a backpack and um, did a GoFundMe to raise money yeah. and. Um, About a year after that, uh, we found ourselves in in Paris and uh, started this epic three-week adventure where we went through France, England, and Ireland and um, did some hiking. We took a lot of trains and um, danced through the city streets and (laughs) met some awesome people and some weird people. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it just, just had... Uh, I feel like every day had something um, magical and wow know, to it and um, and we were never slowed down by what I was always slowed down yeah. by in my life which was is this going to be accessible and um, my my parents did such a great job of when those moments would arise you know figuring it out yeah but with this we had already figured it out. It was like the big figure out thing. Yeah, yeah. And it took care of everything. So um, yeah, it was just a, an amazing trip from wow. start to finish. Wow. Out of curiosity, while you're like over in Europe, mm-hmm. I know you said right before that you had
1: this moment where it was like kind of this existential moment where you're like, the world has just opened up. Mm-hmm. But while you're in Europe, did you did you feel like you had like... Was there a moment where you're like stepping back going, I can't believe this is happening and this is now opening up, not just my world, but it could open up for other people's world. Did this thing begin to start yeah. formulating in your mind or was it one of those like, I'm just having a blast here. <laughs> and later
3: on, you're like, wait a minute. You yeah, know? Um, I'm still realizing that, I think. <laughs> um, but but right before we left, um, whenever we were doing the, the fundraiser, yeah. um, a lot of people had started writing us and asking about this and, uh, including families. Like there was one, uh, they were in Atlanta at the time Mm -hmm. and, uh, they had a a handful of kids, but one of them, uh, was in a wheelchair with something Mm -hmm. similar to what I have. And, uh, the mom wrote me and was like, Hey, we just got back from, uh, another city, that shall not be named. And it was horribly inaccessible. And Mm. we just had to carry our son around the whole time. And then I got home and saw this backpack and like, can you tell me more about it? And so we actually, um, as we were leaving, uh, as we were leaving the States, we um, got to meet with them and spend some time with them because we flew out of Atlanta where they were living. And so... Uh that was like a very a very first hand mm. like, Oh, this is what we're this is what it's all about. Yeah. This is what we're really gonna be doing. Yeah. And uh so we had to see them right before we left and then whenever we landed we we met up with them again. Yeah. So it kind of bookended this like all about us trip yep. with them. With, with <laughs> and, serving other
1: people or something. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And, yeah.
3: and seeing how this was gonna help other people. Wow. And um and so and then throughout the trip we uh interacted with a lot of people that just wondered what we were doing yeah. or or um you could even sometimes see like across the street somebody would see us and you could just see the light bulb like, come on. Oh, like gosh. yeah. Oh I get it. You know, and then right. they go on with their day. Um but I think all of those experiences made me realize that it wasn't going to end when we got home. Yeah. Uh, and so at the end of the trip, as we were, uh, our, our last night there, um, we kind of gathered together and we were asking ourselves, like, what what comes after mm-hmm. this? And so there was talk of, um, we had talked about starting the nonprofit before we left, but um, a friend of mine had said, tell you what, just go on the trip and don't worry about it. And when you get back, yeah. we'll start that process. Just you know, you yeah. have to be present for right. what you're That's doing. Great. Yeah. Um, so at the end of the trip, I finally was like, "Okay, yeah, let's talk about this." And uh, one of the big things that came up was um, this idea that uh, we can't just keep making it about me mm. because not only would other people get bored with it but i would get bored with it mm. and the guys would mm. get bored with it yep. like we want it to be about everyone else right. we want to open the door wide and um so yeah if we just uh start praying about what that would look like yeah. and um so far what what that has looked like is being faithful with what the Lord puts in front of mm-hmm. us, whether that's being invited to speak at something or, um, you know, families reaching out to us and uh, and sometimes mixing those of yeah. saying, well, we're in this town, who have we heard from? Can we right. meet up with them? And so, um, yeah, it's just been a, a great experience Man. Um, through all of that. Um, but the other part of our conversation was At the end of the trip, we said, okay, well, we do want to go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, we don't want it to be about us. Mm -hmm. So what do we do? And uh, we started talking about how throughout our uh, Europe trip, um, you know, going back to people would just see us Mm -hmm. and kind of get it. and, And it would click for them. And so we were kind of this spectacle. And so we thought, well, where?" Could we go to be a spectacle mm. on purpose? And uh, so we settled on China. Um, we felt like oh, wow. uh, we. I mean, it's it's kind of common knowledge that disabilities are um, frowned upon more so there than yeah. than here. And so uh, we wanted to be able to speak into that, mm. but just visually, um, by just being present. And so we uh, we started praying about having a a uh, uh, door into that and uh, wow. uh, eventually uh, kind of down the road the Lord did open that door uh, through Show Hope, um, okay. the ministry that uh, Stephen Curse Chapman started oh, yeah. with his wife and um, just really got to know the people there and said, hey, we would love to go see what you're doing in China and wow. uh, be part of that. And so um, that's that's kind of this past year, that was our, wow. the next chapter of our story. And um, yeah, that was a, an amazing experience on its own. Oh my but, gosh, I imagine yeah.
1: that's yeah. incredible. Well, I want to, I want to press in on this, this thing that you just, this idea that you just put out there, this, that we didn't want it to be about us. Hmm. But we wanted to like turn this around and make it about helping other people, kind of giving life to other people's stories or other people's. Mm. Disabilities and helping them to feel empowered in that, I think it's huge. I think you know one of the things that we are constantly trying to help people in with with nothing is wasted is trying to help them find purpose in their pain. Mm. But you have to walk through it yourself first. And I just you know we tell people, hey, you walk through healing yourself, you walk through this road, you know, of healing, bef- and and then you look for those open doors that God begins to bring you know, i.e. this family Mm. that bookended your trip, you know, and it's like, wait a minute. And God will begin to show you kind of what this is really all about. Mm. And, um, but then you have a choice whether or not you're going to spend your life and your life story to point it back on you or to use it to help other people. Yeah. And, um, and and I would say that, you know, even further than just getting bored with it being about you, it, it gets dry. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's not really there's only so much <laughs> there's only so much spotlight we could put on ourselves yeah. because we're not we're not built to handle the weight of other people's worship. But sure. there's something fruitful that happens when you begin to go, Well, how do we take what we've gone through and the grace that God has instilled and, you know, built out in our path mm-hmm. to then help other people and maybe aren't even as fortunate as we are in that.
3: Yeah. And, yeah. And and something too that I've noticed is um you know, as we give back to others and we, uh, interact with families and, and encourage them, um, we also actually like learn and glean and, and mm. our story grows from them as well, you know? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it's just cool to see how that, uh, I mean, going back to the seven thing, like yeah. I get to become part of their adventure and they get to become a part of mine. Wow. And, uh, and it just becomes this bigger story. Yeah. Um, for all of us. So that's, that's awesome. That's been cool too. Yeah. That's awesome. So most recently, you guys have been, how long ago
1: was it that you went to China?
3: Uh, we went, uh, last September. Okay. So yeah. fairly recently. Yeah. Yeah. Less than a year ago. <laughs> Still getting over the jet lag no.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, um, And so now with what's going on with the not-for-profit, specifically, what are you guys, like what kinds of avenues are you guys helping people with disabilities in? Like specifically, what do you guys do
3: with that? So uh, we actually finally uh, just released our our backpack line uh, back in June. I think okay. somewhere around there. And it's all running together. I know, but, right? <laughs> but um so so our focus right now is on uh getting those into the right hands. Yeah. And so uh some of that is stateside, some of it's international. Um and so some some of that too is like it's available for purchase on the mm-hmm. website, but we also invite people to sponsor backpacks so that we cool. can just give them to people yep. or um uh something that we realized was like international shipping can be oh gosh as much as the pack itself right. you know right. and so um having sponsorships that covers that for yeah. families that i mean i i couldn't afford to you know get, right. get it internationally and so um yeah just just taking care of uh providing that opportunity for people yeah um but you know the backpack doesn't work for every single person uh it's it's pretty uh versatile for Mm. for different needs and sizes and and everything um but it does have a limit you know and so it can't fit everyone and so in that case um we we go back to uh just getting to know the the people Mm. and uh being uh an ear that can listen and uh uh, you know, sometimes a shoulder to cry on, or just yeah. someone to to sit with and talk through things. Um, opportunity to to process. Uh, mm-hmm. A big thing that I found is um, talking to parents who have children with similar right. disabilities. Um, the the parents will come to me and and ask. You know, um, well, first off, they're encouraged by seeing an adult with disabilities yeah. um, thriving and and living their life. And so they know that there is hope for their child, like visually right in front of them. Uh, And so I I love that aspect of it. Um, But then, you know, there was a a, a dad maybe a a year ago that um, asked me like, you know, my son is is 10 years old. And what do you wish someone had told your dad Mm. whenever you were that age? And what a great question. Yeah. So, I mean, that's uh, the kind of conversations that yeah. I get to have. What'd you tell him? Well, you leave me hanging. Be- that was between him and me. <laughs> so, what would but, you tell
1: a parent who, is, who has a child who has a disability? I mean, how would you, yeah. how would you encourage them? Because we definitely have so many listeners who that's their story. You know, sure. they're listening and there's as a parent and they're going, I don't know how to help. Yeah. My kid, or how do I stay encouraged in this? Because this is this feels like a fight. It feels like it's frustrating. It's so hard, you know, to, Yeah, my life's been turned upside down by this. How would you help?
3: Yeah. Um uh, so I them? think you know, one of the aspects of having those those conversations uh one on one is that you get to see what what applies to their specific situation. Mm. Um and that's why I say like, well, for that <laughs> between, dad, it yeah. was it was very specific. Yeah. Um but um I think that there are some kind of more broad um uh, truths yeah. that uh that a parent can hold on to um and I, I think they apply to uh whether your child has a disability or not right. but um but you know those truths are are things like um uh you know ultimately they they just uh need to know that you love them yeah. and um, that doesn't always look like uh you know you being able to pick them up or mm. take care of them physically because there will come a time when mm. you know they have to take care of you or or you have to have someone else take care of them you yeah. know and and things like that yeah. um or um you know, but you can still show that you love them by yeah. um giving them attention and showing them that. You know who they are um, yeah. better than anyone else and uh, and that you love them that uh, like they are <laughs> and right and uh, and so I, I think those sort of things are important for a parent to remember um, for parents with kids with disabilities um, remember that they are just kids yeah. so they need to have the freedom to you know play and mm. you know be Dangerous and get disciplined, you know <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. Um, and uh, yeah, just remembering that they are just kids. Yeah, uh, and sure, they may have some some different needs. Um, yeah, but their heart is still uh, the same, and yeah. so you need to to treat it uh, accordingly. Wow. Yeah. Did you feel
1: like your parents uh, maybe shied away from? discipline or or had the temptation to because they felt
3: sorry for oh, her? no not at all <laughs> speak into that for a second oh, I, that's so good that's how i it. got spanked a lot <laughs> um, yeah uh my sister didn't but that's because she was perfect she so, was perfect yeah <laughs> she was fine she was a middle child she yeah. never did oh, anything of wrong of course so. of course um but i was the youngest so i did everything that mm. i could to mm. push those boundaries um, now my, my parents raised me and my sister and, and my brother, um, in their words, they raised us to be as normal as possible. Oh, that's great. Um, and, and that sometimes meant, uh that it took a little more work, yeah. you know, to, to, uh, you know, do this youth group event or, yeah. uh, have these people over or go to this friend's house. You know, mm-hmm. I, I remember doing a sleepover at a friend's house in fifth grade. And um, I, I they probably lived like half an hour, 40 minutes away. <laughs> but my dad dropped me off and then he came back at like nine or 10. He got me ready for bed. And, wow. you know, like just because he wanted to make sure I had that experience. That's you awesome. Know? And um, and so, yeah, I think um, sometimes parents, uh, and, and it depends because sometimes your kid, does have like much more severe needs uh-huh. um that you have to be more mindful of um but i think sometimes parents just get uh so over uh protective and, yeah. and overcomplicate it, and um and that's something that you know you just have to navigate um, right. situation by situation um another thing that i've been learning lately is um you know, I, I grew up where my my parents advocated for us, you know, and mm-hmm. I remember long phone calls and, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> arguments uh, with, you know, school boards or, or mm-hmm. hospitals and stuff like that. But also, um, we had a family doctor that advocated for us and mm-hmm. we had a, a school superintendent that advocated yeah. and teachers and, you know, people at the church that stepped Mm -hmm. in and helped out, um, to give my parents a break here and there. And um I think a lot of times parents feel very alone when they have a child with disability. And and that sometimes is the reality because Mm -hmm. not everyone is gonna get it. Um but um someone is gonna come along at some point. Yeah. And I was like said to a parent recently i was like when that person comes along <laughs> hang on to them yeah and and realize what a gift they are yeah you know and um and cherish that um but a lot of that is um opening your home and right. and opening up your heart to uh let people in yeah. and see the world that you're in um because the more you do that it it kind of normalizes not the situation but the the needs and yeah. people are like oh i can I can handle some of this and um i mm. uh, you know i mean um ben has has talked before about how uh he grew up um his mom's best friend had a i'm probably butchering it, but I think his mom's best friend's daughter, something like that, had um uh developmental disabilities, mm. and so he kind of grew up around special needs yeah and so um you know mine mine are different from that they're not developmental but um whenever we started hanging out it wasn't that big of a deal right you know and so um yeah i think that's just sometimes you have to take that on yourself yeah as a parent to say come on in come join our our home and our family and, and be part of our life and It's messy, but this is what it is, and and we would love to have you be a part of our adventure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and some of the messages that you're carrying is not just helping others with disability, but also helping to raise awareness of, hey, this is, you know, to the general public, like we are typically unaware of that. Mm -hmm. We're not very aware of, hey, here's some, here's what's actually, you know, happening out in our world with folks who... uh, they're not able to access things. I mean, even Kevin, as you came today, I'm like, I didn't even think about the fact that we don't have, <laughs> we don't have a ramp or anything. And of course you guys just lower your planks down <laughs> and you just ramp up our steps back here. And we, have a, we have a pile of race in the that. car. And <laughs> but it causes me to be aware of that and go, wait a minute, you know, and there, how, how many cities and communities and are just not aware of that. Yeah. Um, so you're going to bulldoze your house. So. I have to. Have <laughs> man, I want Kevin to come no. and hang out with us more. <laughs> you're a fun yeah, time, man. man. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Uh, mm-hmm. That's really cool. That's really yeah. cool. Um, you guys wrote a book about this, about yeah. your trip. Yeah. Uh, and you said that you're writing some more. So tell me about your writing endeavors. You-
3: yeah. So, I mean, as as far back as I can remember, um, as a kid and and growing up, I loved uh, storytelling. Yeah. Um, used my imagination around the backyard and uh <laughs> i the the kind of joke uh growing up in our house was that at the dinner table um everyone else ate while i entertained and then, <laughs> and then i would eat and my sister would read to me and so so yeah it was just like storytelling left yep. and right and so um after college uh, i guess it started in college i um just started kind of writing my own mm. own stuff um as a an exercise and uh read a a book uh, a novel um by a, a german cartoonist named walter moors um and it was very weird but he kind of came out of the page for me and, and said uh see your ideas can be mm. told as well you know yep. like if mine can be published yeah. yours can be published <laughs> <Yeah>. and um <laughs> And there is someone in the world that would enjoy reading what you have in your head. And so started writing um, really weird stuff. Um, (laughs) But then, um, yeah, about, uh, I guess, whenever we were getting ready, again, to leave for the trip, uh, a friend of mine who is an editor um, came to me and said, have you thought about writing a book about Mm. what's going to happen? And I said, well, yeah, of course. That's, like, Mm -hmm. always where my mind goes is... Uh, how do I tell this as a story? And, yeah. and he said, well, if you do, then I'll, I'd love to edit it. And um, I think it'll really go somewhere. And, That's cool. Um, so, yeah, I just kept a journal uh, through the trip and through the fundraising process. And then uh, when we got back, I um, just really put my head down and, and wrote out the the book. Um, yeah. The first draft took a few, I think, four months or so. And then... Um, and then it took a very long time to edit and get mm-hmm. published. And, um, now it's out. It's yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, this past April it came out and it's, uh, available everywhere. And that's awesome. Um, yeah, it's really, really exciting and it yeah. feels good. And, um, so yeah, just, uh, working on a few more ideas and we'll see what comes next. Um, yeah. whether it's, uh, you know, fiction or nonfiction, um, yeah. just excited to continue to, uh, tell the story I think you know whether it is fiction or non-fiction there's um two stories uh that are always going to be told um in anything that uh I write or or you write or any of us Mm -hmm. write which is the the gospel story um that's uh scriptural and the gospel story that is our life yeah and uh those two run together and find their way um into everything yeah. that we write because it's what we know yeah and um so i'm just excited to continue to uh build on that um as uh, throughout the next few years that's awesome <laughs> yeah that's awesome i'm excited to read it Well thanks i'm
1: excited to hear yeah yeah or read what's in your head oh man <laughs> <laughs> and hear about all the oh, we'll the run it by an editor
3: first <laughs> yeah, there you go <laughs> what's
1: the book called uh,
3: the book that's out is called yep. We Carry Kevin. We Carry Kevin. Mm-hmm.
1: It's so yeah. cool. And it's available everywhere. And I want to make mm-hmm. sure that the listeners pick it up. And sure. how can they find out and follow you guys, find out more about what you guys are doing as far as the organization and
3: and uh, your adventures? How can they follow this? Yeah. Um, so the, uh, the nonprofit is also called We Carry Kevin. So it's kind of easy. Nice. Everything... It's called the same yep. thing. Um, I don't know what we call the next book, though. So we'll see. We are still carrying Kevin? We're still... Know. Kevin started carrying us? So right, I don't yeah, know. something yeah. like that. But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so um, everything can be found at wecarrykevin.com. And uh, so there you can find uh, information about the nonprofit. You can find out um, where we're traveling uh, to speak, Um there's uh, links to the book, uh, the documentary that we did about the first trip where we uh, did run about China as well. Yeah, uh, and then information about the backpacks.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, man, this has been just an honor. Yeah, to have this it's conversation great. with you. Yeah. Thanks for making the trip out here.
2: Davey, what a great interview with Kevin. Um, I think for me, one of my favorite parts is that that everything that he's doing, it's so much bigger than himself. Like, yes, he did the impossible. Like he did things he never thought he would do by traveling and backpacking through Europe. But the fact that he wants to make this possible for other people and that he doesn't want to just be like population one, it's about me. He's like, how can I love and serve and make this possible for anybody just blew my mind. That's
1: so good. Well, I think that in this, right, we are creating a culture where you're sharing your story. And I think that that's something that is talked about quite a bit, like, Hey, share your story. It's good to share your story. That's on, you know, on the road to recovery and healing from trauma, you need to share your story. However, if your story is just about you, if it terminates on you, then that's the fastest way for you to get paralyzed, for you to not be able to move forward on, on mission, because this, your pain is about way more than just you. Yeah. Yeah. It's about, it's about using them, letting that pain spill over, letting your story spill over as an inspiration to other people and, and, and even beyond just an inspiration to other people. But begin thinking through how can, I, how can I leverage my pain and the nuances of my pain to minister to other people in the same way that I was ministered to or what I wish I had when I was walking through this. And that's what I love about Kevin is he's like, again, let's, let's not make this pain about me. Let's make it about something so much bigger. And that's when you start, that's when you start finding redemption and like purpose in that.
2: Yeah. And I just, as I was listening to him, I'm like, we haven't heard the last of Kevin Chandler. Like, what is he going to do next? I'm interested. I want to know.
1: It's so great. It's so great. Well, we're excited about Kevin's ministry. We're also excited about this uh, next episode that we have next week. And before we give you a taste of that, we want to thank Ryan O'Neill, Sleeping At Last, for providing all the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. You can download or stream his music anywhere. Music can be downloaded and streamed. And um, before we sign off, why don't you listen to this little clip from next week's episode with Sarah Forgrave. (laughs)
0: When I was four years old, uh, my sister was 14 at the time, and she was diagnosed with stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh, man. Uh, She battled that really off and on all of her entire high school Mm. experience. Um, She was actually a student at the school that I went to and um, missed a lot of school, missed a lot of high school, uh, the typical high school existence. She was in and out of chemo, coming down here to... um, have her treatments. Um, So my sister's journey took her to the point um, the summer before her senior year of high school, she got very sick. And doctors said that really her only chance, she she really (laughs) didn't have much of a chance of surviving, Mm. but the only opportunity they saw was a bone marrow transplant. And with that, they gave her ten percent less than ten percent chance mm. of surviving that, so it was a very grim diagnosis um, and I do want to back up if you if you think about those ages uh, when she was sick, I was between the ages of four and eight, yeah, throughout this time and if you think back to childhood, you know those are the years when you are starting to understand um, what god 's plan of salvation is, the mm. basics of faith and So for me, watching her suffer was very formative because I had a front row seat to know what it meant that if she died, where is she going?